fascinating gadgets, gizmos, and gear-based technologies. Welcome to FGGGBT. Now, this is the show that takes your favorite fictional science and technology, and we make it a reality. Who is this we? We are the Brain Trust. I am the analytical mastermind, Daniel J. Glenn, with me. The physics phenom, Dr. Michael Denon. Well, Dan, it is great to be here. I'm very excited. This is actually a show I feel like dedicating to my youngest brother, whose favorite catchphrase is, who? And people will find out why as we get further into the show. I think so. And also, I'm going to tell you that even though I was watching lots of episodes of this, Denon, you will always be the doctor to me. And Ben, you will always be the enigmatic engineer to me. So Ben, where are you broadcasting from this week? Dan, today I've wandered inside a police box that is inexplicably bigger on the inside. There's all sorts of gadgets and gizmos here though. And Dan, I am sure you are excited for me to figure out how they work. I am. I'm demanding you figure out how they work. And of course, the three of us are going to figure out how it's bigger on the inside than the outside. But we're talking about Doctor Who. And then, and this comes on your recommendation, there's a lot going on here. I watched uh, so many of these episodes, and I think we're going to do four individual FGGBT episodes on Doctor Who. We're going to talk about the TARDIS today. We're going to talk about their take on mythological creatures and then on the dangerous enemies of Doctor Who. And then finally, the Time Lord himself. But first of all, as a newcomer to this show, I, I got my own opinions on it. It's not my cup of tea, British or otherwise, but I did like it and I did respect it. And it does some amazing things, which I'm going to get to in a second. But as you know, I don't want to call you an old timer, Denon, but as someone who's been watching the show more than I have, how did you get into it? What appealed to you and how long have you been watching it? Well, ironically, I've only been watching it really during the pandemic, Dan. Hmm. I've always known about it. I've always thought it was a show I should watch. I'm in the demographic for it. Before the pandemic, I didn't even know there were more than one actor. I just thought it was the dude what? in the scarf. And so when Are I you saw really? It, oh, yeah. No, that's how <laughs> ignorant I was. Yeah, it was very sad. Um, but now, you know, it was this weird path in. It was the pandemic. My kids were all home. And I would watch random episodes with my youngest daughter who had started it. Then I would watch random episodes with my older daughter who had started it at a different time. So they were different random episodes. Then I'd have to watch random episodes to explain the random episodes I watched. Finally, I bit the bullet and I started with the brand new, whatever, 2013, you know, after the hiatus. I've been watching it straight through. I'm about to start season eight. I think it is, is where I am. So I am very excited, Dan. I, I love the show. Um, I, I That's just where I am. It's, it's a weird path. No, it's a great path. Well, it's the path you put me on because you gave us several shows to watch. And that's how I felt is that I'd watch an episode and then have to watch the episode right before it uh, to figure out what was going on. And then uh, loophole, you know, yeah, you fill in the little gaps, you know, and I found yep. myself enjoying the show. Uh, now, what about you, Ben? You know, if there's one person on our panel and our unique little brain trust here that really epitomizes the doctor, uh, I call <laughs> Denon the doctor, but you feel like the doctor. You carry his essence. Are you a reincarnation? Are you a kindred spirit? Where do you stand with him? You know, I, I love Doctor Who. I've, you know, I've been 
absorbing a lot of that information through osmosis over the many years uh, through a lot. Actually, a lot of my Star Wars friends uh, are also Doctor Who for, are also Doctor Who fans, and so I've been hearing a lot about it. And uh, like Denon, uh, as part of the pandemic, I've been catching up on it, and it's such a fun show. And every time I watch it, I'm just having a great time with uh, the Doctor and his fun uh, human friends and companions wandering around the universe. Well, I, I will tell you that that's how I characterize the show, Dan. It, mm -hmm. It's fun. Like at its core, mm -hmm. um, there's some interesting deep issues occasionally, and it occasionally gets kind of, you know, meaningful and, and moving. Um, it's even brought a tear to my eye occasionally. Wow. Um, but at its core... It is fun, and I think that's something we, we we overlook and we don't have enough right now, and maybe that's why it was so appealing during the pandemic, particularly. I think that's a good point. I mean, number one, I'd say you're a little bit of an old softy there, Denon, and you can know, we can bring a tear to your eye pretty easily, uh, but that, that speaks to you know just how fun it is, how it can kind of pull those strings. Once you get pulled into the world, it really it keeps you there. It grips you, Denon, is what I think you're trying to say. Uh, but here's here's what really captured my attention here, guys. And this is kind of an interesting take. Now, you know, I'm really an expert on this show, although I am the master of film and television, guys. And this show does a couple of things that are really impressive from a film and television standpoint. Number one, and we're going to go over them one by one, but number one, the hardest thing about a long-standing series is that you have people grow up, they age, you know, you, you got actors disputes, you got all this behind the scenes stuff. So rarely can a show go for 39 non-continuous seasons like Doctor Who. The only thing that even comes close is the American sitcom uh, The Simpsons. And the key is th their loophole is it's an animated show. Bart is still 10 <laughs> years old. Same age he was in 1989. Coincidentally, the same year that Doctor Who, the original series, went off the air. I think that's just a very interesting coincidence. But you, so how does Doctor Who, how does this show get around that? Well, it's very simple and actually brilliant. As the Doctor, as that main, as that, as that character gets damaged or is close to death, he can regenerate. He can, uh, basically take a new physical form and rejuvenate his body and in doing so they can just introduce another actor so sometimes that he has a different physical form and a slightly different attitude i guess and so that's how they explain how they could change actors it's brilliant you know besides having the cool like a phoenix rising from the ashes but it's a perfect way to to be able to keep the show fresh not let an actor take control of the show. Um, <laughs> the one thing you do need, though, is you need that political, peaceful transfer of power, uh, which surprisingly always seems to happen on that show, which is great. <laughs> now, this is—I think this is brilliant. What do you think, Denon, uh, about this? You know, both as a, as a as a as a device to keep the show running, but also as a narrative point. Oh, I absolutely loved it. As I as I mentioned, I I was not aware of it at the beginning, so I was a bit confused. A tad like. Did they just like think the audience not noticed the doctor looked different, or, right? You know, or right. did they actually do something? Yeah, and it, it was so much fun the first time I watched the episode where David Tennant becomes the doctor because I love that the doctor has all the memories, but at the same time he has to now figure out his new personality quirks, mm -hmm. and he actually does it out loud, like you know, am I sarcastic? Am I not? Am I angry? Am I not? Like who am I? And he's trying these things, yeah. and all the different doctors try and find their catchphrase. Um, at various points and what they're going to say. And it's just great to watch them figure out who they're going to be. 
Um, it, it And so it, I love it as a plot device. I love it as thing. I will point out, in, in doing the research, because you know me, I, I'm the research expert. Yeah, um, I do question. it at least once every five or six shows. <laughs> right. Got to show us how to do it once in a while, Dennis. <laughs> right. Um, I, the, in the very beginning, they made the mistake of saying the doctor only regenerates a fixed number of time. So they oh. did have to have an episode where they explained why this doctor got bonus um, regeneration. Um, so, you know, they, 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 they were really good at the beginning, but not quite perfect. Yeah. So I don't know. Ben, would you like a bonus regeneration? I, I felt that was an exciting idea. Well, I think I think we'd all, all love bonus regenerations. I, I think it goes to the True. theme of this episode with the TARDIS of, you know, being bigger on the inside. Not only does the doctor have extra organs and all this crazy stuff, but he also has all these kind of new lives within him that he gets to enjoy. And I think we'd all want as many of those as possible. You know, we think about cats in our world, you know, they get nine lives, but you know, Dr. Who, he gets potentially infinite lives. And I think, I think we could all uh, appreciate that. Well, I do love the Russian doll aspect, although I will tell you, Ben, and I don't want to spoil anything, but there is no biological basis for a cat having nine lives. Uh, but I do I do like that analogy, though, it's, it's Ben. It's a figure it's of speech, Dan, a figure of speech. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure. I just wanted you, to make sure. You guys sure. are disappointing me. I could have sworn my cat lived nine times. Well, I, I think, I like I think in reality, cats regenerate, you know, that their attitudes are passed on to new cats, just like the doctor. <laughs> no, that no, that is true. Although I think all cats kind of share the same personality. Uh, but but you know, sharing the same personality that is something that the TARDIS does because the TARDIS. Well, we're going to get to some more about the TARDIS later on. I almost spoiled something there. But you know, to go on my little list here, another brilliant thing is that the second main character on this show. First of all, the first main character can just switch actors no matter what they want to do. The second main character is the TARDIS. And it's it's an out 1950s police box from from England. And the brilliant part of this is is that they they never have to change the police box because that's it's camouflage. That's the TARDIS, the the device he flies around in. It's stuck in camouflage mode on this police box. Uh, it's brilliant. You never it's it's in, first of all they've had it for 39 years. You never have to change it. It's you don't have to increase the technological sophistication as the times grow. Uh, it's just there, and you can put it anywhere you want in the world, and it's easy to transport. This is the second brilliant thing. Uh, what do you think about this, Denon? Oh, I love the TARDIS. And again, you know, as our viewers, longtime viewers know, we did an excellent panel um, comparing the TARDIS with other key time machines, mm -hmm. um, you know, like Ben and Ted's telephone booth and the uh, DeLorean. A Bill and Ted. Did yeah. I say Ben and Ted? Yeah. I appreciate I, it. I, I assume Ben know. is just regenerating and going into the TV show. Ben, the movie. It's a movie. Ben's got a little Keanu Reeves thing going on there. I can. Yeah, see. I got the hair and the stony uh, expression. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah. anyway, so, so Bill and Ted. You know what I meant. The audience knows what I meant. I, I am getting worried, Dad. You know, we have to go back to that episode of, of my aging and fixing me. My memory for names is really decreasing a lot. Um, okay. So if you guys fix that brain problem, I'm first in line. Uh, so people no, should see that episode too. But yeah. anyway, we, we get into the time machines. The TARDIS is great that way. But I just, I really love the police box for exactly the reason you said. It's camouflage, but it's funny camouflage now because it shows up in fields. It shows up in cities where they don't know what a police box is. It shows up in America where we don't have police boxes. Not much, but it's mostly in England. But, you know, it's like, like, like this is camouflage, but is it really? And I just leave yeah. it there for you all to contemplate. Hiding in plain sight is what you're saying. 
you know, I was watching an episode this morning where it's the TARDIS is literally just in an open grass field. And it's like, that's not camouflage, guys. Like, you know, <laughs> but I guess at the same time, it's so inexplicable. You know, I think to another great British series of uh, Douglas Adams is uh, Hitchhiker's Guide, where when something is so out of place, you just kind of ignore it. And I think... Hmm. In some ways, the TARDIS is like that. Why is this police box there? It's so weird. Obviously, it's supposed to be there, and I'm just going to let it let it be there. <laughs> I don't think I've ever had that problem. I don't think I've ever ignored something that was really extraordinarily out of place. I think I've always been like, <laughs> why is that there? I don't know. That's me, um, but I think there's something to that. You say, why is it there? But then you're like, well, it, it's, it must supposed to be there because it's so strange. That I mean, yeah, no, that makes sense. I can understand that psychology. Um, so th- th- now this week, it's, it's hidden in plain sight. Sometimes it's hidden so well that it's not hidden at all. But the other great thing here about the TARDIS, and this is this is probably my favorite part of not only the TARDIS, but this I think is unique to England, and that you mentioned you mentioned this, Ben. The TARDIS is bigger on the inside than the outside. Now, why is this great as the master of film and television? Because you can have an endless amount of sets that exist inside the TARDIS. It's you know you walk in and it's gigantic inside, and I think this also speaks to a very specifically British piece of technology, which is. The insides of stuff tend to be bigger than the outside. What do I mean by this? You got the TARDIS. You've got Harry Potter tents. Uh, you know, Fantastic Beasts. The guy walks around with that little briefcase, and inside is a <laughs> is a whole safari of all kinds of crazy animals. And of course, you got Mary Poppins bags. One of you know one of the most famous English uh, nannies of all time. I, I th- feel like this is uniquely British. I don't know if that's true, but Ben, you know, I feel like you are our resident Anglophile. Is this true? Is this exclusively a British trait? Well, I, I think maybe in some ways it, it comes all from you know Doctor Who. Certainly, Doctor Who predates uh, Harry Potter, although not Mary Pop. Maybe it's all from Mary Poppins. Ah, this, you know, maybe maybe you hit on the true source here, Dan. I may have. Um, I do that you know, sometimes. Certainly it's not Dungeons & Dragons Bag of Holding being the initial source because that certainly does not predate any of this stuff. So, you know, Dan, I think I think you've maybe cracked it. You know, it's all <laughs> it all goes back to Mary Poppins, perhaps. I think so. And, and, and that really is makes a lot of sense because Mary Poppins is the queen of everything. We know that. Um, and, and, and particularly extra cool, I mean. <laughs> For those of us who are, you know, deep into the magical arts. Yeah. No, Mary Poppins, she was the first. And she was, she's great. I think it all starts there. And the other thing here, the last part here, Denon, you brought this up to me, is that the time travel rules of Doctor Who are great for a long-standing television series. What what does that mean? What what exactly are you talking about here, Denon? Well, I got real lucky, Dan. I was just rewatching some episodes to get in the mode. Um, and an example of this, of course, was my um, discussion of Bill and Ted and Ben and Ted's. You know, we're going to time travel and change that completely. <laughs> uh-huh. But <laughs> yeah. but there was this great episode where people keep telling him, you know, time travel is not possible because of the paradoxes. And he says, don't worry, the paradoxes work themselves out mostly. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is the theme of Doctor Who, right, is if they need a paradox for the plot, they're more than willing to embrace it. But mostly the paradoxes work themselves out. And there's things like it's very, very hard to retrace your own timeline. So if you're going back in time and, quote, changing something, 
it was actually always there because you only go there once. It's not like you can go there over and over. Um, and you can create these interesting pass-through time without really messing with things. And they also have the idea of fixed points in times, things that once they happen, they can't change. Um, so it's very, very creative because they, the, for me, they hit the perfect balance of not explaining how time travel worked <laughs> so that it made sense and you could accept it, but you don't think about it too much. Like what we do, didn't. Like kind of like what we do. Exactly. Perfect. Yeah. I see why you it's like it It's the perfect so balance of explanation. That's why I think it feels so good for this show. Um, ben, how are you about the time travel in Doctor Who? Because we do time travel a lot. Yeah. And we know how complicated it is. On the yeah. show, we do it. You mean? <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, yeah. No, no, Dan, I, I time travel all the time. Uh, you and Ted. <laughs> yeah. I mean, somehow only forward for some reason. But, you know, I'll get that backwards uh, any day now, cracked. Uh, so I think what's interesting, about, and I like this, Dan, and how, you know, a lot of the times Doctor Who does play in the world of, the things that happened have always happened and he he hasn't gone back and messed things up because he had always been there you know there's no you know th yes there and when they do go back and change things it's a real problem in the show they really kind of mess things up and things get weird and i appreciate that paradox how they make the paradoxes a problem in the show which they are uh you know it's good that they point out that if things had happened in the past, then they've always happened in the past, unless some t the timeline's like collapsing on itself, basically. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think yeah. I think it's I think it's great to think about time in those respects. But I I want to mention one thing here really quickly is for those of you who don't watch Doctor Who, the TARDIS stands for time and relative dimension in space. It is that police box that you see, and it travels through both space and time, uh, which kind of make it like a Borg ship, you know, it, it, like the Borg <laughs> travels, there's that big cube flying through, and this is like a big rectangle. Uh, I don't know what a three-dimensional rectangle is called. Well, I don't, I'm sure there's a name for yeah. it. Some kind of well, there's a, It's a rectangular prism, Dan. Yeah. There you go, rectangular prism. Or, yeah, yeah. That's not as much fun as cube. <laughs> Cube's a great. Well, it's, it's well, not. Cubes are more fun, but they are equal to sides, so, and the TARDIS does not have equal sides. I'm sorry. Well, no, but, it does but not. We, We've got to remember, Dan, we've we've established that time machines must also travel in space because the Earth is not standing still. The right. Earth is moving very quickly. It's rotating very quickly. It's orbiting the center of the galaxy very quickly. And the galaxy is uh, transitioning through the universe very quickly. So if you are to travel in time, you also have to travel in space because the Earth is not where it was a second ago. And what's great, Dan, just real quickly, then I know we can leave this topic and move on, is this is why the doctor often ends up where he doesn't intend to be. <laughs> um, the other great thing about the show is they show how difficult navigating both time and space is, where, you know, he plans to take some of his companions on a vacation to the Bahamas in the 1700s and ends up in Mars in, you know, the, <laughs> the, 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 the 35th century. Sure. So, you know, it's, it's, it's some interesting twists. You know, I think it's a good point, Dan, because if you think about traveling 100 years back in time, the galaxy is millions of miles away from where it was 100 years ago. And so if you hit Mars instead of Earth, you know, you're actually pretty accurate. 
That was a good job. <laughs> That's really funny. Well, you know, and I got to tell you, I, I think if anything, Doctor Who proves that there isn't a flat Earth, right? I mean, because how easy would it be to travel in space and time if everything was flat? I mean, you wouldn't have to worry about the three-dimensionality of it all. I think, is that a word? Three-dimensionality? That is. Okay. That is, Dan. I nailed it for once. I'm glad, I'm glad you've now given one reason for the Earth to be flat. We're, we're, we're <laughs> moving forward for this show. We'd make it easy, is all I'm saying. It'd make, Occam's razor, yeah. Dan, and Occam's razor. Uh, but, you know, you mentioned, Ben, you mentioned it's very difficult to travel to get these calculations right. And as our calculation expert, I know that that's correct because you know, we're whizzing around is what you're saying. Everything's whizzing around. Uh, as, as I think the British say that as well. Everything's whizzing yeah. around. It whizzing around. So how do we calculate that? Well, you know, as we see behind you, Ben, there's an, a whole control panel interface of, of wacky, you know, knobs and dials and buttons and, and all kinds of it looks like a, you know it looks like the everlasting gobstopper from from Willy Wonka what's going on back there <laughs> so what do you think about this you know is that if you had to design a panel a control panel would yours look similar to what Doctor Who's got or would you do something totally different well I mean in the end there is a keyboard and some sort of display usually which you know I, I think that's good you know I, I certainly hearken to the back to the future control very simple you know day, date, time, you know, that's nice and easy. But, you know, if you're also traversing space, it's obviously a lot more difficult. And I, and I appreciate that, you know, you're going to need more than that. You're going to need some way to navigate the entire universe. Mm -hmm. You know, you got to drop your little pin, but, it, you know, it's not Google Earth. Now we're talking Google Universe. You got to find, <laughs> you know, your, yeah. the, your chosen galaxy, your chosen solar system, your chosen planet, and then your chosen continent or city on that planet. That's a tough call. And I, I appreciate that you're going to need a lot of systems to get that right. You know, I have to say, I, I get it. Because Ben's an engineer, so he's going to design this to work. Right. As we all know, I'm a physicist. Um, I'm going to design it for fun. And I tell you, there's nothing like having a whole lot of switches, buttons, knobs, and doohickeys. Doohickeys are particularly important in my mind. Critical, um, obviously. Critical. They're critical. Yeah. Um, but I, again, I was watching some episodes just to get back to the feel. And there's a wonderful one where uh, Doctor Who is in roughly the 1970s and somebody has an oscilloscope of a particular make and he quotes the make model number <laughs> and he goes, these had the best toggle switches. And he sits there and plays with the toggle switch. And I was just like, you know what? We've done buttons on this show, but we haven't done toggle switches. And I agree with Do Doctor Who. A good toggle switch to like make your instrument work it is really satisfying. It clicks. It's solid. It holds in place. Um, and so I really, I, I like that the TARDIS has this complex set of things that you can push, switch, spin, and turn, Dan. So I'm, I'm, I'm very excited by the TARDIS design and that you can customize it. Yeah. Well, first of all, I think we should dedicate a whole episode to the Dingle Hopper. It's one of my favorite things that we hardly ever see incorporated <laughs> in any sort of technical gadgetry. But also, I think, Dan, and you're overlooking something that's very important here, is that the TARDIS is a very powerful, you know, Doctor Who, he's, you know, he's full of laughs, you know, he's, he's you know, one step away from pulling a rubber chicken out of his pants. But I think, you know, it's serious business what he does. And the TARDIS is a serious machine. And if someone were to get into the TARDIS and just start pushing buttons, and if it was as easy as the DeLorean, Ben, we could have some real problems on our hands. So I think... The security feature here is the analog technology, the, the sheer amount of time in practice it requires to operate that control panel properly. I think that I think that as a built-in security feature, not a bug. It's not just for fun, Denon. I think there's serious 
business going on here. And I think it's important to note because the TARDIS can do a lot of things, which includes, you know, tra- it can, you can open the doors in deep space. It has incredible <laughs> security, which I don't even know how that's possible, but we'll get to that in a second. Yeah, it, It's got incredible security features. And I think along this lines, correct me if I'm wrong here, the doctor uses an analog key to open up the door to get in. It's said that no one can open that door, kind of like Biff in Back to the Future 2, bringing it back to you, Ben. No one can start that car but me, Biff says. The doctor says no one can open the TARDIS but me. Is it possible that it's analog technology, or is that key part of the camouflage? I'm throwing a lot at you, Denon. What do you got to say for yourself? Well, I personally love the idea that the analog technology is part of the security system. I think that's a great idea. You know, sort of, we see that... Um, throughout the series, there is a character, um, Dr. River Song, who actually has learned to use the TARDIS at one point because the doctor teaches her. Um, but very, very few people can make it work. It involves such a complex um, mechanism. And I have a personal story that relates to this. I had, I am, like many kids, had many, many piano lessons in my life. I learned to play the piano. I was asked once to play a piece in my church, um, except no one told me they were going to have me play it on the organ. Um, that is an analog device that is just enough different from a piano, if you've ever seen the two. Um, let's just say I closed with a brilliant final chord that had nothing to do with the piece I was playing because it was in a different position on the keyboard than a piano. And so analog technology, it can be quite disconcerting, and it can be a strong safety measure. So I'm I'm going straight with that, Dan. I support it from personal experience. Well, now hold on. Before you go to before you go to Ben here, I got to clear something up, Dennis. Now you 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 said that the 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 organ is very different than the piano because the organ's analog. So was this a digital piano? No, no, no. Working? I said the analog structure of the organ is very different than the analog structure of the piano. Got it. Okay. I I apologize if I misspoke. No, that's there, okay. Because I was thinking, you know, I thought maybe it was a keyboard because that is a digital piano, but this is a yes. string based. Probably gears involved as well. Got it. Okay, I was very confused, then, and thank you for clearing that up for me. Now, Ben, what do you think about this? I mean, is there? Uh, how would you handle this? You know, this is a place where I've got, unfortunately got to criticize the doctor. You know, I have a lot of experience in designing security systems, and the reality is, security through obscurity is not security. You know, if River Song can learn how to use the TARDIS, and somehow maybe she goes rogue and then teaches other people to use the targets, that's not safe. That's just, that's hmm. just any, but once you learn it, once you can learn it, it's not a safety. What if she writes it down in her, no- what if she wrote it down in a notebook and then somebody steals that notebook? That's not, that's not useful. Um, what you want is real credentials to use the, the targets. You want, you know, he should have a key that he has to, you know, put into the panel and turn to make it work. Uh, you know, do a thumbprint scan, do a voice scan, you know, have real things to make sure it's the actual doctor who's allowed to use the TARDIS there. So I want to argue, Dan. Uh, I do too. Argue you, go first. you go first. I'm going to check. Okay. So not argue. Actually, I'm going to build on what Ben said because I'm not an argument. Well, then I'll I'm argue. We all it, I'll bring it. Into, I'll make it contentious. <laughs> yeah. I would like to point out that I am willing to bet that all of the handles, buttons, and gizmos and all the cameras in the TARDIS are um, facial recognition and palm print recognition surfaces. Hmm. So not only does he have obscurity, he has multiple layers of bio recognition um, in the thing. There is a great scene at one point where there's all the circles on the wall 
And the doctor questions, he loves the circles, but he questions why they're there. And they're in every incarnation of the TARDIS, the circles on the war. And I claim that's the bio-recognition system. So, but I do think we need a new t-shirt, Dan. Security through obscurity is not security. I, I will agree with that. <laughs> uh, that. That one's not me, but you know, that, that's a classic uh, security design statement. Oh, Ben, Ben, we're going to give you credit. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, we can only do stuff that we TM ourselves. So if that came from some other security expert, we're going to have to tweak it a little bit. But but I got something else to say here because, you know, obviously I think some of those credentials, we got hackers nowadays, right? We did, you know, we talked about hacking on our Matrix episode. There are people who have the ability to crack into these digital codes, no matter how complex they are. What you don't have the ability to do, as Goonies taught us, is you don't have the ability to fake playing a piano. Now, Denon, I'm guessing that when you played the piano, whether it was digital or not, whether it was analog or not, you had to practice for years to get good. You can't fake that. You can't fake it at all. When it comes to the TARDIS, managing those gears, buttons, toggle switches, the dingle hoppers, the doohickeys, and everything in between, that takes a lot of years of practice. You can't fake that. There's no better security. You can't hack that, Ben. Now, what do you have to say about that? Can you hack an answer to that? That doesn't make any sense. But can you answer that in regular terms? <laughs> you know, it's certainly possible that there is some unspoken, unidentified security where, you know, you could definitely have some the TARDIS learning about how the doctor uses the machine. And therefore, it only works when he works it. But again, that could be something you teach. So I would want more to it than that. I'd want that password. I'd want that voice imprint. You know, all these multiple factors of security to make sure that this device doesn't fall into the wrong hands. Now, we do see a little bit of that because there is one time when the doctor allows other people to use the TARDIS to basically send it to him. And then it actually doesn't take that. It just leaves them there, which is kind of funny. <laughs> yeah. And so I think, you know, maybe there is some of that. Maybe, you know, that CD gives him, you know, gives them that power to have a, a credential a real physical credential that allows the TARDIS to be secure in not allowing any any schlum who's read River's uh, notebook to uh, use the TARDIS. Well, I will tell you, look, there's one Stradivarius, right? There's one guy who created all those violins. He was not able to teach anyone else how to make those master works. There's one guy, just like there's one doctor. And that's all I'm going to say about that. Because what? <laughs> how, does that, how does that relate? Watch this transition, right? A Stradivarius violin is very unique just like the TARDIS. The TARDIS, here's the, here's the, this was to me, Denon, you brought this up to me. This was the key part of the TARDIS to me, was that it is alive. The TARDIS is grown. It is not built. And there seems to be some interesting relationship between the TARDIS species. I don't know if I can say that. I don't know if it's quite like there, but the TARDIS species and the Time Lord species. There seems to be some, some symbiotic relationship going on here. I thought this was incredibly interesting. There's even an episode where the essence of the TARDIS is put into uh, a, a woman and, you know, the TARDIS is able to speak through this woman. And I believe a piece of it goes into Rose and she's able to control the time vortex, which is how the first doctor gets kind of off. Spoiler alert there. I should have said spoiler alert first. Uh, what do you think about <laughs> your Denon? So this, this to me, you, you brought this up to me. This was incredible, incredibly new information. Well, no, I love it. And it really actually speaks to something we've talked about on the show in various episodes. The, the, the very fundamental idea of bioengineering taken to a, an extreme, right? We often engineer things based on what we see in biology and we learn from species. Here is a case where you, you almost combine domestication, 
um, you know, sort of the the breeding programs we have to get animals the way we want with engineering. Um, we find out in some episodes the TARDIS actually at its center and heart has devices that allow it to grow whatever it needs and whatever material it needs to do what it's planning to do, um, which sounds like a great evolutionary step, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, to have that type of organ or piece. Um, it, it, it's incredibly flexible, but it does seem linked deeply with the Time Lords. And that that's an interesting thing that I wonder at what level, maybe in the future or even in those past episodes I haven't watched, the show really explores at a deeper level. But that symbiotic relationship, um, we just did the Matrix. Symbiotic relationship between humans and machines. Here's humans and life form that becomes machine. It's a fascinating way to go. I, I, I hope our resident robot is okay with these life forms that look like machines. I mean, how could I not be okay with life forms that look like <laughs> machines? I mean, is, is that not the perfect life form? You know, you got X. I, I think that's it right there. Perfect life form is a machine. <laughs> I, I, I stunned I stunned Ben Dan. I stunned him. You shorted him out. You had that you know that whole little that, that algolog, al- algorithm that kind of zipped around in his head. You fried him out then. You fried out our robot. Uh I mean I think this is this to me was really incredible because I, I love the idea that the TARDIS, you know, I mentioned that the TARDIS is probably the t- the second character on the show. The TARDIS does so many amazing things. I think this, you know, this feels a little bit like the Pinocchio effect, you know, that like he wants the TARDIS to be alive so much that it actually is alive. I mean, you know, we see it come out and talk uh, through the other person, as I mentioned. But, you know, there's a lot of AI and highly advanced AI could also seem to be a life form as well. Uh, you know, so I'm having trouble really believing that there's a biological component to this. You know, Den, and you alluded to one of my great quotes, which is going to be immortalized on one of the shirts uh, that's going to be at our, our merch store, fgbt.com backslash merch, which is biology is nature's technology. I think that we start with biology. It figures a lot of really fundamental things out and we improve upon it. But I don't know if this extends to the TARDIS. I'm very confused. Ben, I'm going to go back to you. Well, Dan, Dan, before you go to Ben to answer this, do you mean the merch store with these great cups? I, I, the very same, Dennis. The very same. I'm just checking because, you know, I was a little thirsty while you were talking about that and I thought I'd grab a drink. So just throw that out and then Ben can answer the question. Great. Uh, more, the greatest analog technology in the world is in our merch store. Uh, lots of gadgets as well. I think a mug is considered a gadget. So, Dennis, uh, Ben, I go back to you with this question. What, what about the TARDIS? Do you think that this works on that level? Well, I. I definitely think the TARDIS is, you know, learning. It's it's certainly got some AI going on in there. You know, obviously, if it's capable of adjusting itself, building, you know, materials it needs, it certainly can seem to act on its own uh, where, you know, it'll pursue, you know, alerts and alarms that it senses throughout the universe on its own. It seems to direct the doctor and his companions to... Uh, locations that they kind of didn't pick for themselves. It knows when the mail is about to come and opens the door Mm -hmm. to deep space for that. (laughs) So clearly it's alive in some sense. It's got something going on in there that lets it act on its own. And I do think, Dan, this goes to one of my favorite themes, 
Right. We always talk about even the stuff we make is still natural because it's part of nature. No, you talk about that. I that's never, what I, I said, said what I talk about. Oh, okay, I okay. Right. Yeah, I said me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I said we, but it's mostly me. You said we. Definitely said we. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I meant me. I was trying to be polite. Um, it was the royal. Up w upside down. And it was me. the royal yeah. we. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but it, it's an interesting thing to think about, you know, why we we as humans draw this f- sharp line between technology and biology based on carbon, based on, you know, definition, arbitrary definitions we have of life. Uh, and we, we, we know there, there, we, there very well may be other alien life forms that are not purely based on carbon, but it also we've learned carbon nanotubes, carbon fibers, carbon structures. It's becoming, carbon's becoming a key part of our technology, one of yep. the stronger substances. So it's completely reasonable that the TARDIS is alive even though its fundamental morphology mm. looks to us like a machine. Why are we imposing our view and categories on this otherwise beautiful creature, Dan? <laughs> all right, fair enough. I mean, that's very human-centric, is what you're saying. Is and that's, that's all I'm fair. saying. That's all I'm saying, Dan. Yeah, that, that's a you know that's a that's a fair criticism, and I do apologize for that. But I have to say, the one thing that does separate TARDIS from human, this is my last point here, is that it seems to have you know we mentioned it has it seems to have some kind of soul. And what's interesting is when this essence or whatever goes into Rose specifically, she seems to have incredible power. I mean, she was dissolving Daleks like, you know, Dr. Manhattan. I mean, it was it was crazy. She was disintegrating things. Now, this is an incredible power. It seems to be harnessed by Rose, which is, you know, traditional biology. And also, obviously, it's harnessed naturally by the TARDIS biology. Uh, this seemed like kind of a, a big power for a, some, for a creature to have something that could, you know, I don't know if the TARDIS can get upset or angry. This could be misused. I, I don't know if that's a positive evolution there, Denon. Well, you know, this is what I really think. As much as I was pro-biology, I really think the TARDIS is the ultimate kind of blending of technology and biology, right? We know parts of it grow. We know there's elements of that. But we also know from episodes that, you know, the doctor clearly says this is Time Lord technology here. And there's an episode mm-hmm. where you see inside the TARDIS a collapsing star about to become a black hole that the Time Lord says, you know, this is Time Lord technology that we've harnessed and put in the TARDIS. So there is this combination of soul and technology, and the dividing line is a bit unclear, you know. So it's the sort of classic. You know, when we think about blending machine and human, we're already doing that, right? We are starting with biology and adding artificial arms, robotic limbs, you know, artificial eyes. It's not surprising that these advanced civilization would take a core biology and add their technology around it. And I think that gives us the safeguards. So it's not pure evolution. It's a kind of evolution with human, well, in this case, Time Lord evolution added to it. Okay. That, that I mean, that makes sense to me. I mean, because I do love this idea that the, the so first of all, the Time Lord technology is that bigger on the inside, you know, than it is on the outside. I like that. But also the harnessing. They I did mention that the, the Time Lords did create black holes. I find that to be really interesting. So Ben, I'm going to propose this last question to you. When it comes to that type of technology, you know. Mm-hmm. I, is there some connection between black holes being bigger on the inside and being able to power a, a, a device, a, a biological device like the TARDIS with this type of technology? You know, I, I like that bringing up the, 
black holes are potentially bigger on the inside. Um, are I mean, in some ways they're bigger on the inside. In other ways, they make everything really small, so the inside seems big. Uh, <laughs> Maybe it's the same thing then. Maybe. Uh, but I think what, what's important to re remember is traveling through time and space requires a ton of energy. So it, it's not really a surprise that this is some super powerful creature, the, the, the TARDIS, that, you know, can disintegrate Daleks and do all this sort of stuff. You know, if you have the power to travel throughout the universe on any timeline base, well, not on any timeline, but through the timeline, that requires so much energy, of course you can disintegrate a Dalek. Uh, so, you know, none of this really surprises me. You know, the TARDIS is in a way the ultimate weapon and the ultimate power in the universe because of this capability. Uh, and it, what's really amazing is that this bigger on the inside stuff is that somehow the Time Lords have figured out how to harness that power into this being that is the TARDIS. Okay. I think you might have nailed it there, Dan. Do you have anything to, to wrap that up? Or I think Ben no, kind of did a nice I, job. There. I think Ben did a great job. And, I, and, you know, Dan, you have clearly learned. Because to come up with a black hole bigger on the inside, kudos to you. You like that? I, hey, I've learned from the best. You guys you guys inspire me. You guys <laughs> are my doctor. You're my doctor and my TARDIS right here, Ben and, uh, and Dennett. But who's who? <laughs> I call the I call the TARDIS. <laughs> uh, so we've arrived, you know, obviously the mushy part of this show, which I just loved right there. That's my favorite part. But my second favorite part of this episode is our errors, additions and omissions section. Now, this is things we wanted to talk about. But we didn't quite get to Denon. Is there anything about Doctor Who that you wanted to talk about that we didn't quite get to? Well, we, we mentioned it. We alluded to it. I just love that he uses an old fashioned key to get in and out of the TARDIS. It's one of my favorite favorite things. Again, I, let's leave it as a mystery. Is it a real key? Is it part of the camouflage? A little mystery in life is good, but but the fact that you can lose it, you can give people a copy. I mean, there are these great moments where the companion reaches a point and he gives the companion a key to the TARDIS. So symbol, symbolic of when, when we humans give each other keys to our apartments. Um, it, like I said, it, it's the mushy part of me. It's the softy in me. It's those moments that bring a tear to my eye. So, you know, <laughs> I, I love that that undertone is there and it goes to just the show being fun. Um, I, I will say also, no, I have one other error in addition. I'm correcting my errors with another okay. error. Um, does that have to do uh, with the analog piano that you want to admit no, to? No, it doesn't have to do with the analog piano. Okay. But I, I will say just as a personal a comment on the show, you, you have Amy and, and Rory as, as a companion through many seasons. I don't want to give too many spoilers. But I was really impressed at the writer's ability to make me really not like Rory at the beginning and love him by the end. <laughs> like, here was a character like, I was totally, I'm like, what is this dude doing in the show? You got to get rid of him. And by the end, I'm like all Rory. So, you know, some really fun stuff there. Th those are mine, Dan. Um, what about you, Ben? Did you have any strong feelings on Rory, Amy, or anything else we didn't quite get to? Well, well, I mean, to I feel, unfortunately, take a little mystery out of what Denon said with the key. It's I, I really assume it's got to be something more complex than a basic, you know, five or six cylinder Yale key. Anyone could pick that open. <laughs> uh, you know, maybe it's relying on the TARDIS's inexplicable camouflage to make no one want to actually get in because it's Obviously, it's there. Obviously, I shouldn't mess with it. But that's not a hard key. That's not a hard lock to break into. So I'm guessing it's it's camouflage and hiding a much cooler key than what we see. Uh, but the other thing I think is I really kind of enjoy 
the relationship the doctor has with the TARDIS. You know, these are two living beings. They have a complex relationship. They're exploring the universe together with their bumbling human companions. Well, sometimes bumbling, sometimes very sharp. Uh, (laughs) But, you know, I think it's kind of this nice thing of, you know, you have, you know, kind of two Gallifreyans. They're the only Gallifreyans left in the universe. And they, you know, they got to stick together. And, you know, you see this sadness when they're separated and i like that that there's this kind of heart to the show of the tardis and the doctor as you know friends against the universe i think that that's really sweet ben um and i also (laughs) you know i want to point something out here Uh, you know i hate to do this but you did mention ben that something being out of place would cause you to ignore it right i mean that, that was your initial thing now when it comes to that key I think you're kind of looking at the same level of logic here. I don't think anyone would think that the TARDIS would be so easy to pick as to simply use a five-cylinder lock or whatever it is, a key master, whatever they're called, a master lock. Uh, But in fact, wouldn't that be the greatest technology of all? Is The simplest, easiest thing to pick. You would never think to do it. Uh, I'm using your own logic against you here, Ben. There's not much you're going to say because I'm going to go right into my heirs' editions and omissions section, <laughs> which is uh, I. The thing that I, I really I haven't watched enough episodes to really kind of get the essence that you guys have, and I'm embarrassed about that. But the one thing that I did think was very strange when it comes to the TARDIS is the episode where another being kind of takes over the TARDIS, and I think it's Amy and Rory that are kind of running around um, inside the TARDIS. The TARDIS is able to manipulate space and time within itself so that Amy like runs into Rory when he's you know been there for 2,000 years or something like that and he's all crazy in the head uh that kind of that was crazy to me that inside the TARDIS I would think that it would be its own pocket dimension in some ways where it you know it it operated under one set of rules and maybe the rest of the world did operate on a different set of rules but it it was kind of crazy to me that it could operate and change the rules of physics within itself because I can't change the rule, the rules of physics inside myself, and I would love to do that. Um, but you know, <laughs> we're coming to the end here, uh, and I think if we've missed anything on this show, and we've covered a lot, but maybe there's something on the TARDIS you want to tell us about, you can get in touch with us. We're easy to get a hold of. The show can be found on Twitter at F Triple G B T Pod. We're on Facebook at F Triple G B T. And if you have questions, correspondence, you know, general idea, uh, you can send it to questions at F Triple gbt.com and maybe your question might be featured on a future episode how's that for non-committal denon uh, <laughs> if you want to get in touch with us individually you can do that denon where can people find you well people can find me on twitter and instagram just flip my name it's at denon michael um if you want to find me on facebook you need a prof at prof denon michael um and I'm not on TikTok, but if you want me to be, send me a tweet and I'll fit, try and figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Let's do the let's let's get Denon on TikTok. Let's start that trending. Hashtag Denon on TikTok. Now what about you, Ben? Where can people find you? You can find me on all the major social media networks at B Seepser. How do you spell that? Spell that B S I E P S E R. And I can be found on Twitter at Daniel J. Glenn, on Instagram at the Daniel J. Glenn, and on Facebook at Analytical Mastermind. And if you're listening to us on your favorite podcast platform, make sure to rate and review and check that you're subscribed. And if you're watching us on YouTube, hit that like button, subscribe, and ring that bell so you never miss an episode. And finally, this show contains powerful scientific information that can be misused by those hell-bent on world domination. Now, remember... 
You want to use this for good and be a superhero, not for evil and be a supervillain. So remember that distinction. Be a superhero, not a supervillain. So until next time, thank you for listening. Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies is a Glencoe production and is produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and Paul Springers with music and sound design written and performed by Paul Springers. Now, of course, if you're listening to this episode and you've gotten this far, you're going to want to subscribe. Well, how do you do that? We're on all the major podcasting platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Spotify. But if you're not already subscribed to those platforms, I made it easy for you. Go to our website, ftriplegbt.com. You'll find links to those subscribe buttons and also links to our social media, both for the show and for our individual experts, the members of the Brain Trust. That's all right there ftriplegbt.com. And before you leave, don't forget to check out our other episodes. You can find the link at the top of the page for everything we've got, and you'll notice that we've got both a YouTube version and an audio-only version, depending on what you like. We got it for you, and if you do like those videos, you can go ahead and subscribe to those as well. We're on youtube.com backslash Daniel J. Glenn. And once again, if you like this show, you're going to like everything that I do. Go to danieljglenn.com to find out more. Thank you for listening.